and welcome to IOM3 Investigates, the podcast series of the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining. We are one of the UK's major science and engineering institutions and our activities are focused on the promotion and development of all aspects of the materials cycle. These include the science, design, engineering and technology of materials, minerals and mining and their practical applications. We facilitate qualifications, professional recognition and development, share knowledge and provide networking services to a global membership and wider community. We hope you enjoy our podcast series. Hi everyone and welcome to the I Am Free Pride podcast in light of LGBT History Month. My name is Shardell Joseph, my pronouns are she and her and I identify as pansexual. I am joined with two of our I Am Free Pride members and we are looking at the significance of recognising LGBT history in STEM as well as reflecting on the progress that has been made and what needs to be done for a more inclusive future. So let's start off with our chair. Hello, uh, so my name is Emily Bradley. My pronouns, I'm pronoun indifferent. Uh, I am pansexual and I'm actually a chemist turned engineer um, and I currently teach and also work for the civil service. Over to Avery. Uh, hi, I'm Avery. I use he, him pronouns. Um, I'm a bisexual trans man. I'm also currently a postgraduate taught master's student at the University of Birmingham, where I'm doing a master's in nuclear decommissioning and waste management. Um, outside of this, I do a lot of work with OSTEM, which stands for Elton STEM, where I'm director of student membership and run the UK regional conference for the STEM LGBTQ in you. Thank you. So, yes, let's start off. Why is celebrating LGBT History Month important? So I think for me, one of the most important things is recognising that while there isn't a particularly long history of LGBT+, especially within STEM, one of the ways that we can address this is recognising the historical figures that have come before us and have sort of broken those boundaries and made it more acceptable to be open the LGBT plus and for us to increase our visibility and sort of make it part of a normal conversation who we are and and that it's okay to be who you are. Yeah I think following on from that um, I think it's also important to do it to continue to recognise and remember how we kind of got to this point um, with our our rights and realise how maybe recent a lot of our rights have come into, into play for us Um, For example, we didn't even have civil partnership until 2005. It wasn't legal to get married in across all of the UK until even last year. So it's kind of important to recognise how we've got these rights so we can keep them and make sure that the people who might not have the rights currently um, can see a journey to get them. I think it was an interesting point made about, you know, having a very short history, you know, among LGBT community so essentially why is that and why is there a lack of acknowledgement of stem scientists identified as being lgbtq plus i think for from my point of view it, it's sort of a broadly twofold the first thing is that as scientists and engineers and, and generally within stem there's quite a big disconnect with who you are personally as a as a person and what you do in your day-to-day life you know there's there's quite a stereotype but also 
it does kind of hold true in a lot of the places I've been that you don't necessarily talk about yourself as much as you would if you were in another role so there's there is a sort of stereotype of the scientist as as quite sort of closed and and you do the science and the science is what you focus on but I think that that's often used as an excuse to sort of stop people being more open-minded or liberal or or honest about the fact that they are um, potentially not uh, the status quo of of a scientist or an engineer or etc and I think that's that's sort of one of the big differences between sort of the LGBT community generally and the, the LGBT plus community within STEM I think the other thing is is a sort of more general issue and I think Avery really touched on it in that they just haven't been haven't been the rights there to be open about who you are until fairly recently you know I think there was a survey sort of in the 60s which looked at whether it's wrong at all to not be in a relationship or to be in a relationship with a another person of the same sex and over I think something like over 20% of people said that it was wrong uh, so so they disagreed with that it was not wrong at all and it may actually have been higher than that and it's still something which isn't a, isn't 100% uptake that people really feel like you can be who you want to be yeah i also think there's been a lack of language that people could use to kind of identify themselves like the the great thing about kind of like the internet and stuff has allowed more discussion to kind of get more popularization of kind of like terms like non-binary and stuff so people can kind of see that and then realize oh that actually is me so there could have been people feeling like this and if you look there probably is a lot of people that we would consider it now but they didn't have that language to describe themselves it's kind of hard to say that like uh, like as a trans person it's a lot it was a lot easier for me to realize that about myself when I could see people like that experiencing it and give be given words to kind of use that. Essentially what you're saying is that it's actually power in the terminology in terms of giving people the the what they need to identify themselves yeah and a bit of like realizing that if there is a term that exists for it then you're not kind of alone in those feelings it's a bit of I think community with having mm-hmm. this kind of words and identity that you can kind of seek out people who might feel the same way as you maybe a little bit easier yeah I think I think Avery's right I think the community aspect makes a huge difference and the internet is a wonderful place in in some respects for that because it it does make it far easier to connect with people and to see that you're not alone so I think as we talk a bit more about it it's societally it makes it easier but then also having those places where it's a bit easier to talk about things that aren't necessarily day-to-day conversational certainly weren't 20 years ago makes it that much easier again and as Avery said knowing what the words are makes a huge difference you know if you if you don't have a word for how you feel then it's very difficult to relate that to someone else or to you know know that you feel the same way. It's also the now having the freedom to speak about it because section 28 was a big thing that obviously came into play in 1988 
which got rid of, of in the early 2000s so it was kind of still in act when I was in school which meant that kind of like your teachers and the people when you're growing up couldn't actually tell you about being LGBT and it was also becomes a bit shameful then when you may be having these feelings and you can't talk to your teachers about it because it's literally illegal for them to kind of tell you about it so it's also that having that shame and hiding away that means you can't find that language absolutely I yeah totally agree I just had a look as well and it was actually um, 17% agreed in uh, in the 1960s that homosexuality or same-sex partnerships was not wrong at all so it's it's the minority thought that it was okay to be gay in the 60s and then now it's sort of increased but still not within that sort of percentage you'd expect apparently it's more sort of towards the 60s 70s percent in the last sort of five years um yeah I guess that would be a reflection of why there hasn't been more open scientists or like open LGBT scientists because obviously when there's an environment that fosters negativity towards fundamentally who someone is then they're not going to express themselves in that way. Um, so, you know, we mentioned communication. So, you know, the means of the internet giving com- like greater communication, um, which allows people like access accessibility to information, which has helped. But yeah, what other barriers can you think of why to stop people from, you know, having an inclusive environment in the past? I think there was a lot less... Um focus on on being inclusive which i think does add add a small part of it if um if no one knows that there are other options then they don't tend to explore those options so you know there's a, a much greater uh, percentage of the population i say much greater there is a greater po- percentage of the population who identify as lgbtq plus now than there was 30 years ago and there is an increasing percentage within younger populations who identify as LGBT plus I think part of that is because they know that that option is there so if you tell people that you know you must be like this this is the option that's it then a lot of people are either you know hiding that or or suppressing that part of themselves whereas when it's easier to be yourself then there's there's less barrier so you know I've I've got relatives who possibly would have been LGBT plus if they'd been born in a different age but who aren't you know and are also quite religious and so for them it's a not just the time in which they were born it's also the sort of beliefs that they have mean that for them it would be really wrong to be who they probably would be if they'd been born at a different time or maybe had a a different sort of upbringing so that definitely comes into it hugely yeah I definitely agree that lack of role models are a really big thing even kind of now in the last few years I think it's been quite a big growth of seeing kind of these role models who are LGBT in STEM Um, I know when I first came to university I was mostly out as bi not as trans and I wasn't really out as bi when I was kind of doing STEM I went to LGBT group and didn't see the need of LGBT STEM because I kind of didn't realize that how much of myself I was holding back when I was doing STEM related stuff by not being comfortable about being like bi openly and being 
um, trans. Um, I think you, you, you can't realise how comfortable and much better you can feel unless you can see somebody else doing it. You kind of don't know what you don't have until you see, see it elsewhere. Yeah, so in that respect, just a reflection, just seeing representation is hugely important for people to then continue the work of creating an inclusivity. So what lessons can we take from looking at the lack of inclusion of LGBT um, people in history? I think a big thing at the minute is making sure that we learn lessons that we learn, for example, when we were doing a lot for lesbian and gay marriage and getting equal rights for that, that we're not keeping those same barriers for trans people. I think for transgender people, the rights are quite a bit behind. And you're kind of seeing the same like headlines repeated that you did. Like I've seen comparisons of headlines from like like some newspapers back in like the 90s with all this kind of like kind of panic about like lesbian and gays and bi's being normalized. And those kind of headlines are starting to be repeated now. And so kind of avoiding that we don't do a similar thing um, for transgender people and instead learn that maybe we could have got rights for these people quicker. I think Avery's absolutely right. And it's a bit like anything else in history. If you want to learn the lessons and actually use that, then you have to you have to know the history. So I think a lot of people don't actually know how how recent a lot of the legislative and life changes are and I, th- I think there's sort of this idea that oh well you know because because you can get married it's all fine now um, which you know is one view which I wouldn't necessarily agree with at all um, but I, I think the other thing is also seeing the the general benefit so you know it's obviously really important for us as LGBT plus people to get that recognition and be able to be who we are. But it does have a greater societal benefit. If people are happy and comfortable as who they are, they contribute more to society. You know, if you're able to be the person that you are most at work, then you're more likely to be comfortable. You're more likely to contribute well. You know, you're going to do, say, if you're a researcher, you're going to do more appropriate research. You're going to be less bogged down in the bullying and the marginalisation and discrimination. You know, as I say, I'd love to think that the the moral viewpoint that, you know, we we should look after everyone because we're all people would be enough. But actually, if it isn't, then there are, you know, there are, everyday impacts on how people contribute to society if they are happier and looked after and they tend to they tend to need less overall as well from the system so you know if we if we stop traumatizing people then they won't need to be looked after afterwards that that would be a a very what's the word straightforward uh, way of looking at it but you know it's true yeah, I don't, I, I, one thing I think I don't think people realise is sometimes how draining it is to have to be like checking yourself like, oh, can I say, should I say partner? Can I say that it's my boyfriend or girlfriend? People don't seem to realise that it's quite taxing to have that constantly in the back of your mind while also trying to focus on like doing your work. Even questions about trying to get to know people at, like the office, for example, if they ask you what you're doing this weekend, you have to go for a kind of like a mental checklist like, does this person seem okay? Can I actually reveal that I'm hanging out with my partner or do I have to? kind of hide that bit absolutely and I think that that sort of segues into a really nice point as well is it's it's not just lessons from LGBT plus history that we can learn 
there are so many other marginalized groups that have sort of improved their lot for lack of a better word over the last 50 years and we can all learn from each other you know so things like the, the black lives matter movement there's been so much positive energy going into that but also backlash and i think it's really important for people who aren't considered the normal mainstream to work together and to actually use the lessons that each of those marginalized groups have learned together and make sure that we're not repeating the same mistakes for one group that have happened for another group so that we can so that we can move forward for everyone and, and not just sort of saying oh well, I need this right now it's what we all need collectively to make an improvement and to make our lives easier and especially for those of us that are intersectional and so fit in multiple marginalized groups actually if we're all working to the same sort of understanding then it's much easier for those people as well yeah i think as well it does improve diversity across all different marginalized groups you can't really focus on one group at a time i've heard people say like oh i just want to focus on like more women in stem to start with but that's really hard to do when you're not then advocating for like lgbt women for example like that is another important bit of their identity that you also need to consider it's not everything needs to be done at once it's not just a, we'll focus on one group first absolutely yeah when a company or a person or a group is really trying to make a difference it tends to be more obvious in their their sort of willingness to accept that this could be applied everywhere rather than feeling the need to sort of do that that kind of we're just looking at this this year all the other diversities go away because we're just having a, having a focus on that one. And it's like, oh, it's, it's fair enough to highlight things and completely understand why sometimes actually that does really work with the media hat on, but that doesn't stop the work needed for other, other marginalised groups and other diversities from, from being needed. Yeah, I guess um, there's definitely value in, you know, outsourcing from different diversity groups and working as a collective like you said because of intersectionality as well and just generally recognizing you know the marginalization of individual groups yeah there's definitely value in that um so you know looking at where we are today we've looked at the barriers of where you know what barriers there were in history what are lgbt stem scientists facing today I think Avery touched on one of the one of the everyday ones earlier, which is that while it is getting more comfortable to talk about who you are at, at work and to bring sort of more of yourself to your work or academic environment, you're effectively almost experiencing an outing every day. And, and by that, I mean sort of outing in quotient marks, you know, you're having to reveal who you are to people go through some kind of lengthy definition about what that means for you which just doesn't happen to other people when they're sort of talking about something you know if you said you liked football you wouldn't have to give someone a 10 minute explanation of what football was you know whereas if you tell someone that you're bisexual or pansexual or that you're transgender a lot of people 
either feel the need to sort of reassure you that it's okay to be who you are, which, you know, it's nice of them, but it's quite patronising. And some of them then also give you the um, the Spanish Inquisition afterwards, which, you know, I, I'm kind of laughing, but it can actually be incredibly draining to have to do that every day, you know, or every week even. People think that you come out once or twice in your life, you know, it's just not true. Yeah, and actually um, that point as well of, because I think you mentioned as well is if there were changes, you know, we didn't have to go through that every day with people, that it would actually increase productivity. So I guess just want to look at what, as an institute or, you know, as like um, a company, what is the value of um, implementing better inclusivity in the workplace? For me, it's sometimes it's the small things. So things like when people put their pronouns in their email, it starts a conversation, you know, but then it's a conversation you only have, you only really need to have sort of once or twice. And it also makes it makes it a bit more obvious if A, that your workplace is actually thinking about things like that. But also if you are someone who has different pronouns to what some might expect, then it means they've already sort of thought about it. And if if they do sort of have an idea of what's going on, then it means that they have already thought about that and already done a lot of the they're answering their own questions rather than sort of not confronting you, but rather than sort of having them all pop to mind when you're immediately in front of them. You know, it's natural that someone's curious, but actually there's so much that they can look up themselves and that isn't specific to you that, you know, actually it takes that onus off of you or that burden of being the first person they've ever met that you know had different pronouns to what they were expecting or wasn't you know straight because actually some people don't grow up in an environment where that's something that's sort of talked about so you understand why they're curious but at the same time you also kind of wonder why they didn't just google it and do a bit of self-research yeah, I think other things that kind of like workplaces and places of study can do to kind of support people better is also make sure that they're really kind of giving resources that are needed to their groups. I think it's great that IMO3 now has this pride group that we're part of. And so giving people those a place and like amplifying their voices, I think it's important. Maybe not say what um, you as allies think you LGBT people want and instead amplify the voices of what LGBT people are telling you they, they want. Um, other things is just kind of try and think about stuff that your institution could be doing to support people, um, especially trans people, where one of the things that, for example, when I came out as trans, the university was very supportive, but they had a bit of a panic about what to do, like, what, who do we tell, who do we need to tell, it would have been nice if I didn't have to do that labour myself, and they had something in place, for example, to be like, oh, so you're transitioning, here's who we need to, here's the people who actually need to know you've changed your name, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think Avery, excellent point there. Having the policies in place, but also knowing what they are is really important, you know, especially for larger organisations. It's very easy to put a policy in place. Actually making sure you use it and signposting people and giving them the right information isn't necessarily happening with that follow through. So I think, I think in the last sort of five, ten years, there's been a lot of 
drive to be more diverse and inclusive, you know, and people really like them as buzzwords. But making sure that you do that in every day aspect of aspects of your working is is far more far more important potentially actually easier if you get used to doing it every day and also has a much bigger impact on those people that you're trying to help yeah I think one of the things that isn't acknowledged all the time is actually something that might not seem like a big deal just a small process can be traumatic for people especially if they've it's not the first time that they're having to go through this so actually just acknowledging how our practices can impact people's experiences is I think definitely something that needs to be considered like to become more inclusive um so we've actually spoken about um workplaces in general but I thought it would be interesting to do a comparison because obviously engineering and STEM is very different so how does engineering differ in comparison to more general workplaces? I think there's a bit of an issue um, with STEM and engineering as a whole that you are just a STEM scientist and engineers Uh, people don't fully realise there's kind of person behind it there's quite a lot of that kind of like that scientist who works alone and all they do is dedicate themselves to their work when actually they're actually all like rounded individuals. Although that I do enjoy all the engineering that I study and stuff like that, I also have lots of other stuff that I do that I also think is equally valuable to my time. Like I play D&D with my friends, that kind of things. Um, I think this is a, quite a STEM specific thing that we don't acknowledge that people have like these, these are fully rounded people maybe as well as we should. And so moving towards this whole like oh yeah, I'm a scientist, but I'm also like, I also do all of these other cool things that are also equally as important, would really help with that. And then you can kind of see that, and that will help then further with the whole LGBT thing, because then you see them as like people who also like have their partners and they have like their children and stuff like that. They're not just scientists and engineers there to work. (laughs) Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think sometimes engineering's a little bit behind on a, on a lot of things to do with um, sort of acceptance, work-life balance, um, and and actually it does very much sort of go hand in hand with that idea that you're a whole person. And I think there's a lot of areas where it's starting to sort of realise that they really do need to look after their look after their people more to get the most out of them. Um, you know, and there's large amounts of evidence that that is 100% true. But I think it's just making sure that they're incorporating that sort of LGBTQ plus experience in as part of that consideration for your well-being and for having that work-life balance. You know, engineering and just the, the general science idea that you're a, a white guy in a lab coat with crazy hair who, you know, cause lots of solutions into different things is it's a it's a very funny stereotype but it's also doing so much damage and I think something Avery said actually earlier about having role models is something that we're really lacking in engineering and I think that may be one of the big things that sort of ties in with actually your last question as well by having those role models in higher positions it enables you to see that there are people like you there 
and and engineering is is as I say taking its sweet time to to come into the 21st century in lots of ways uh, and I think getting some of those sort of higher up role models who are openly LGBT plus and or who are an ethnic minority or are disabled or are female, you know, all of these things can be a huge boost to breaking down those barriers because it means there's someone you can see. And it also means it's much harder to joke about them when they're sitting in the same uh, office as you, possibly as your boss. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, the idea of how stereotypes can be damaging, because I guess it just perpetuates the cycle of being the same type of person going into those kind of roles. Um, We may have touched on this, but just wanted to expand some more on what comparisons can we draw from how experiences might be different as being, you know, the majority sexual orientation and identity with being an LGBT um, plus person in a workplace? So I think you get similar experiences, but not necessarily identical for minority sexual orientation versus minority gender identity. As far as I'm aware, it's generally a less good experience for those who are a minority gender identity in comparison to those who are a minority sexual orientation. So in in simple terms, if you're a gay white man, then you're probably not having as rough a time as, say, a mixed race transgender woman who maybe has multiple stigmatisms that people are holding against them. And I think that's actually something really important to consider when we look at the differences, because some LGBT plus people's experiences are far more like those of our heterosexual colleagues than, say, those who are more intersectional. And I think it's I think one of the biggest things for me personally was when I started getting a bit more defensive about people maybe making jokes or or saying things that weren't necessarily the most professional. I, I actually felt the the biggest difference was in my my sort of work social life. So, you know, people didn't stop working with me. But, you know, they'd stop asking me for a drink after work or things like that, you know, and they get a bit more sort of cross that you didn't just agree with them and and make, you know, a joke at someone else's expense. Um, you know, and I think engineering's one of the reasons why I really like engineering is, is the banter, for lack of a better word, and that and that sort of camaraderie that comes with having to work in fairly close quarters quite often, you know digging in and getting the work done but also it it means that if you don't fit within that dynamic it can be very very uncomfortable very quickly and you do feel very excluded. Yeah I think one of the things that people don't think about is actually that big thing in STEM and like engineering is it's actually very important to be working together and going back to that kind of stereotype of like the lone scientist and the coat that's not what it's like at all the benefits of things like engineering are working together with a team to like make something great and so 
if you have this like this feeling of a kind of divide that you no longer have something in common if they just get a bit iffy about your identities then that does create kind of like these barriers between you i uh, yeah i also i think it also depends who who is sort of leading the team so if you have someone who's very comfortable with their identity and is comfortable with your identity then it tends to calm your other colleagues down almost um you know and and by them showing that you know with it's it's just part of who you are you know and by not making a big deal out of it that can then mean that it's far harder for someone who maybe has a bit of prejudice against you but they're then not comfortable showing that because their their boss their other peers aren't necessarily reflecting that and it it minimizes the likelihood of them acting up or saying something against you whereas if there's an environment where homophobic comments or sexually inappropriate comments or racist comments and general discriminatory comments are common then actually it's these sort of breed so by accepting one kind it then it makes it much easier to spiral out and you know as I say the engineering world can be very full of banter which in some respects is great because it it does help build that team dynamic but if someone hasn't disclosed what their say sexual orientation or gender identity is to you um, and they're considering doing that and then you start making a load of homophobic jokes then they're less likely to be themselves and then they're also worrying that you know you might find out and then make fun of them or discriminate against them or hurt them because actually there's also a lot of physical violence against people who are LGBT plus in comparison to those who aren't so you know it's it's not high but it's much higher still than if you were say heterosexual or cisgendered yeah, I reckon, you know, as a, or, or even just as a minority, you either have to, you know, you have the choice of standing up for yourself and then subjecting yourself to um, comments or being excluded, or you have, or you be quiet and then just not feel like you're being your authentic self and having to listen to, you know, hurtful things. So there's not, if there's no changes from um, the individuals that you're working with, then there's no, you know, there's no good option for um, the person that's on the receiving end of it. So what can individuals do within a working environment to make it more inclusive and make people feel more comfortable? Acceptance is a good place to start. If you are, you know, everyday person, you're not manager or anything like that accepting that people come in all shapes and sizes and flavors etc that's fine you know actually that's that would be a really nice start you know and respecting people as well it sounds like a really basic thing but a lot of people don't necessarily appreciate that when they say something the way they view it isn't the same way that other people do And there's nothing wrong with having a laugh at work. You know, if anything, it's better. It helps you build your relationship. But if you upset someone, then you also need to be able to say, okay, you know, I'm sorry. I I really didn't see it like that. And I'm really sorry I've upset you. You know, that wasn't my intention. And 
by being able to say, you know, I'm sorry that I've had that effect on you, and by having that open dialogue, then I think that can help with a lot of problems. I think just being more honest as well about sort of what what go, is going on for you, because it's it's very hard when you're every day that you're great and that there's nothing wrong with you and everything of who you are is wonderful you've got a lot of self-confidence you know and you probably find it quite easy doing everyday things getting on with life and just generally you know you're quite comfortable if you are experiencing as you would say at the moment as a transgender person the news flashing up that you know your rights don't matter as much as someone else's oh but what about these other people who might have that effect you know well we know we're not sure if we want to give you as much as we give everyone else and and also people just straight up being incredibly rude to you and discriminate against you on a weekly to say daily basis and probably don't have as much self-confidence or you have a very thick skin and are having to put up that face every day of this is who I have to be at work and then I go home and I'm someone completely different because I can be myself. Understanding that it's more easy to get upset when you've got everything else being piled on from every direction would be a really, really helpful thing for people to understand, but that's not necessarily you can write down in a policy. Yeah, I also think it's kind of important to do kind of lots of little things rather than one big gesture. For example, like lots of things in LGBT History Month and then maybe then forgetting to do it throughout. It needs to be something that becomes embedded and it can be lots of little things. We've talked about kind of like pronouns and email signatures previously, um, things like in putting gender neutral toilets in your buildings and stuff like that so these kind of little things build up to that environment that like an LGBT person will recognize very quickly as soon as they for example go to interview a uni or like or your workplace if they see that there's gender neutral toilets and like pronouns on badges and things those are things that they'll notice and they'll see that as a more inclusive environment and then also making sure another thing is to kind of make sure you're building up your like LGBT staff not just about the fact that LGBT so kind of highlighting all the good kind of research and stuff they do but then also maybe dropping in their LGBT so do it throughout the year not just for LGBT history month as like a this is this is them we're going to highlight them for one for one month a year have it as a consistent thing throughout yeah and to tag on to what you just said as well Avery building it in So if you're doing something new, build in the consideration for those people. And don't just mean LGBTQ plus here either. Build in the inclusivity that you want to see as you do new things. You know, if you're a company and you're just about to move to a new headquarters, okay, can we sort out now that we have the toilets as gender neutral as well? Can we sort out that we have better accessibility arrangements, that we have space or schedules, things like that, that include time to acknowledge people for who they are? You know, if you encourage people to sort of have a a tea break and, and talk about personal stuff, you know, is there a safe space for that? Is there somewhere where people can be comfortable? You know, it's it's really odd how often people 
or how often companies as a whole can sort of talk about wanting to go in this direction but and then when they do new things they just use the old playbook and they don't introduce any of the sort of new ideas or, or things that they actually want to include within that so having that sort of foresight and planning is really important okay so what does the future of LGBT in STEM look like to you? Honestly, brutal if we keep going on our current trajectory. Um, so, you know, with, with STEM at the end of the day, we love our data, um, although we don't necessarily love jumping through hoops to get it. Um, if we carry on at the rate we're going, we are not going to have inclusive workplaces and inclusive academic environments. We're going to have some nice memories that we tried and probably some really good PR, but there's there's not necessarily going to be that inclusion that we actually need to work to our best ability to live our lives to our best ability and to you know truly bring, bring who we are to the team. I think there are lots of things we can do to increase that, increase that likelihood um, and to make those things better. But I think I think it is a real realistic view that if we carry on like we are, then actually not a huge amount is going to change. Things have gotten better, but there's a lot of slip at the moment, especially in terms of transgender rights and more the gender identity side of things. But when one goes, it just tends to be a matter of time before the other go. So I, I'm really looking forward to some more positivity and some more actionable steps on improving non-binary and gender identity rights. Yeah, I'm going to take this in a bit of a uh, different direction about how I'd like to see um, LGBT uh, people looking in STEM. So in the future, um, so when I first started trying to do like work towards making the LGBT in STEM better. Um, I used to have the goal that I just wanted uh, us to feel kind of like included, like it was no big thing. Um, so like, it doesn't matter what kind of like your partner is, but that's kind of been shifted a bit the, recently. Um, the kind of feature I'd see is that we do have obviously equal inclusive and things, but I also think it's not, it's important that we don't forget that we are LGBT and still keep highlighting. And um, so we can't slip back. Also, because I think it is important to celebrate our differences and that that is often a good thing that we are different people with different lived experiences. And it's important to keep celebrating that even as things get better. Yeah, that is incredibly important and probably far more positive than mine. Thank you, Avery. Um, yeah, I think I think just appreciating how divergent everyone is and um, actually that that's a good thing. And, you know, evidentially does make a difference is incredibly important. And hopefully everyone will just keep remembering that and it will be we will be on a better trajectory. But yeah, I think I think it is it is worth bearing in mind that it's not just at work. We have to look after each other. It is as a whole. Thank you. I actually personally think that the having the realism and the optimism works really well to balance out what it could look like and what it will look like. So I just had one more question. If you both had a role model currently, and if so, why? 
Um, I think my current LGBT role model is somebody I work with at OSTEM. Um, so, because I am director of student memberships, so I work in the membership team. And the vice president of membership, who is Sindhu, is kind of my current LGBT role model. I really admire all the work she's done with the organisation to make things better for the LGBT STEM students, since we don't do a lot of work with student societies. And she just kind of inspires me every time I work with her to keep going and keep building on these kind of things together. She also works with the intersectional identities and I just, yeah, I admire that. And I'm lucky to work with her like all the time. Um, I don't know if I'd, I'd say they're necessarily role models, but there may be people who I think have very interesting opinions and I'm, I you know, sort of want to be a little bit, but I don't necessarily know them well enough to, to call them a role model. Um, and I, I think one of those people would be uh, someone called Clara Barker, who is a researcher slash lab manager at Oxford University. And, and she is just absolutely amazing. I thoroughly recommend sort of looking her up and and looking at sort of the science side and also the LGBT plus side as someone who is really inspiring. I also borrow Clara because I'm also very inspired by Clara. Um, yep. Cla I met Clara at a seminar conference a few years ago. And I was very excited and went to find to find her to meet her after her talk because she was the first LGBT materials person that was like not a fellow student that I'd ever met. And so that was a really exciting moment for me. And the fact that she was also like trans when I was still coming to terms with my identity did help me a lot. Yeah, it's, it's always really nice to be able to see someone who's sort of understands or not necessarily been through what you've been through but has similar experiences and and similar interests as well so that that's one of the reasons why it's, it's just a really nice person to sort of be able to look up and and if you meet her at a conference or something like that or an event then she's very chatty so it's nice to have a chat and see how everything's going but yeah so I think Ben Britain's probably one of the most interesting or, or most visible and interesting material scientist that's also visibly LGBT plus knocking around as well so he's really good to sort of have a look at for interesting LGBT plus slash materials things that have happened in the week that gives you a good perspective. Uh, thank you both um, for sharing those there is the STEM LGBTQ and you coming up soon. And um, Avery, I just wanted to know if you wanted to give a bit of context of what it's about and what your involvement's going to be. Uh, yeah, so STEM LGBTQ and you is coming up on the 19th of February. So this is the OSTEM UK regional conference bringing together the UK chapters of a chance to talk about LGBT and STEM. Um, so this uh, differs a little bit from some of the other LGBT STEM conferences out there and that it's a lot more about personal experiences. We like to kind of get that well-rounded thing that I talked about earlier about seeing what people do outside of their science, as well as a little bit about their science. We'll also be having a panel discussion this year focused on how STEM LGBT communities have coped during um, the COVID-19 pandemic and it is open for everyone. We especially encourage allies if you want to learn a little bit about how to support both your students and your fellow colleagues. From an IOM3 Pride perspective, if anyone is interested in hearing more about us, then as Shardell says, please keep an eye on the website. But you can also email us 
the addresses on the website to get in touch if you do want to have more to do with the group and if you have anything that you would like to see us doing then please drop us a line you can also contact us on twitter and see what we're up to on there as well we are still looking for a couple of committee members so if you're interested then again just drop us an email Thank you both so much for coming here and, um, you know, talking about your experiences and just um, what we can do in general. And I hope that this is a good platform to start thinking about what, you know, we as an institute or what, you know, companies, et cetera, or just individuals can be doing to make sure that we're making a happier and more inclusive environment for everyone. Um, Thank you very much. For more information about us, visit iom3.org. Or to keep up to date with our latest news, follow us on social media using at iom3 on Twitter and at the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining on LinkedIn. If you're interested in our upcoming podcasts or want to get involved, please subscribe to hear more from us through Apple, Google Podcasts or Spotify.